The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Twenty-four this afternoon. Proverbs twenty-four verses twenty-three through thirty-four, the end of the chapter. Kind of a shorter section. You might get a shorter sermon. Who knows? Let's now give our attention to God's Word. Proverbs 24, verses 23 through 34. These also are sayings of the wise. Partiality and judging is not good. Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Well, This concludes the reading of God's holy, true, perfect word. May he add his blessing. To it. Well, we've all heard the saying, too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. And this is certainly true when it comes to certain gifts, uh, such as food, alcohol, hobbies, and in some cases, money. However, this is not the case when it comes to wisdom. And this is indicated by how our passage starts out, where it says, these are also the sayings of the wise. Now, the book of Proverbs has just given us 30 sayings in 22.17 through 24.22. says, these are 30 sayings. And then he wraps it up and say, okay, well, that should be it. But then he goes on to say, here's some more sayings. And what this is telling us is we can never get enough wisdom because we lack wisdom more than we think and we also forget it more than we think in fact the section we're looking at today is repeating a lot of things that we have already encountered it takes time for it to soak in we forget and we often tend towards foolishness so we need all the wisdom we can get And today we're going to look at two facets of life where we are to increase in wisdom. Now remember what wisdom is. It is taking God's truth and applying it to our life well. And there's various situations where the Bible doesn't just say, in this particular situation, this is exactly what you are to do. Wisdom is required for these things, and this book helps us with that. So two facets. First is in true judgment, and second is in true labor. So first, true judgment. In verses 23 through 25, where it says partiality and judging is not good. Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations. 
but those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. Now, partiality is showing favoritism towards somebody because of some perceived benefit you can get from them that causes you to set aside the right way. And this partiality is to tell the wicked, for those who are truly guilty, you are in the right, you are righteous, when in fact they are not. It's to justify the wicked, as Proverbs 17.15 says. And this is more than in a private conversation, but rather a legal declaration in deciding a matter. In their day, it would be the elders at the gate, declaring this person to be in the right when in fact they are not. And the reason this would be done is out of partiality. Having a perceived benefit where that perceived benefit from that person causes you to render favorably towards them when you should not. It could be monetary. person pays you off. It could be giving you some sort of favorable social status where if you favor that person, uh, you will receive some sort of social benefit. Perhaps this person who's currently under judgment is well-liked by the people, and you know they're guilty, but you want to render them right. It could be because you don't want to jeopardize your relationship with this person. You don't want to tell them the truth because it might cost you. And one of my professors was telling me at an OPC, which is Orthodox Presbyterian Church, it's a denomination, where they have a general assembly where they actually vote on things and that has binding decisions on the churches in that denomination. That's not our form of government as Baptists, but it is for Presbyterians. Where one voting elder came up to him and said, hey, if you vote my way on this issue, I will vote whatever way you want me to on a certain issue. And thankfully, my professor had enough integrity to say, no, how about we just vote according to our conscience and do what is right? But that's one such example in showing partiality and judgment and not judging based on truth, based on relationships rather than on what uh, is right. Now, as the proverb says here, it will be actually favorable if you do not justify the wicked. Uh, you will be cursed and abhorred by peoples and nations, which is another way of saying the Gentiles. Even unbelievers understand that if you judge wrongly, that it is an abomination. Rather, the blessing comes by rebuking the wicked. It comes by following God's law, even though it may not seem that would be the case. But it says here in the Word that it is. For one thing, have a clear conscience. Now, how do we apply this since none of us in here, at least not, not that I'm aware of, are, are judges uh, in a court? Well, we can apply this by speaking the truth in love to one another. We are to not use flattery speech to win people's favor, get their approval, or be afraid of them rejecting us. Now, this doesn't mean that we can never be encouraging. It doesn't mean that we could we can never point out God's grace in somebody's life and overlook faults of theirs so that we're not overbearing. In fact, it does take wisdom. Now, sometimes there's things where we could point it out, but we need to discern, is this a matter of them just needing to grow? If it's a 30-year-old living in his parents' basement, we would expect 
hey, I think now is the time to get a job and live on your own. But we would not say that to a toddler, would we? At least you shouldn't. Even though it would be nice if you pulled your weight around here, buddy. Still, they're not going to do it. I've tried. <laughs> if you see Isaiah working down at the uh, the Ace Hardware, you know why. But, <laughs> but we we address somebody based on their maturity level, and we need to discern that. Maybe this person just has a particular struggle, and uh, now's not the time to bring this up. Uh, we do need to wrestle through it, but we don't want to justify somebody in their sin. Say, oh yeah, you you're definitely in the right. We know that they were in the wrong. We just don't want them to get mad at us. Speaking the truth in love rather than seeking to be well liked is more delightful and blessed, even though it might cost us temporarily. But as verse 26 says, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Sometimes it seems like flattering is kissing the lips while giving an honest answer is like punching them in the lips. However, giving an honest answer is actually kissing the lips. Now, it needs to be done in love. It needs to be done in wisdom. It needs to be done in grace, speaking the truth in love. But telling the truth, answering honestly, is like kissing the lips. A figure of speech or saying it is pleasant and good, like kissing one's spouse. This is especially the case when under oath, verse 28, be not a witness against your neighbor without cause. Do not deceive with your lips. To be a witness against your neighbor without cause is to testify against them when you should not be, when you have no reason to. It's to bear false witness against them. And so deceive with your lips. Now, why would someone do this? Well, verse 29, do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay back the man. I will pay the man back for what he has done. So this testifying against is done out of vengeance. This person bore false witness against me. Therefore, I am going to do the same to him. And this is what we tend to believe in our flesh, isn't it? We may not initiate this, but hey, this person did it to me. So I'm justified in doing it to this other person is the way we tend to think. You broke the rules. Now I get to break the rules too. I get to repay evil with evil. But Scripture condemns that. We are not to pay back evil with evil. When we are sinned against, we are not to uh, sin against others. We do not return insult for insult. Rather, we seek to always keep God's righteous and holy law no matter what is done to us. And this, after all, is what Christ did for us. Think about how God has dealt with us. God who's the righteous judge, who has every right to pay us back because He is the judge of the universe to whom all obedience is owed. How did He respond to us who believe when we had sinned against Him? Well, Christ put on our own flesh and blood. And He stood in our place condemned. Even though He had false accusation heaped against Him, He stood there with His mouth silent. Even though He could have given a defense and He would have won. But He stood there silent because that's what the law does. It shuts the mouth of the sinner 
And as someone who is standing in our place, he stood there silent as if the law had shut his mouth so that he would take our judgment for our sin. This is how he has paid us back, we who believe, by taking our place, by standing condemned in our place, by blessing us who had cursed him, taking our curse upon him. And if this is the way the Lord has dealt with us in our sin, we should follow his example in the way we deal with others. So when we are slandered or lie about, we do not engage in the same behavior. Being sinned against is not permission from God to sin against others. Now the second facet of life where we are to increase in wisdom is true labor. Verse 27, prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. So the basic principle here is prepare first before you act. Don't act on impulses. Preparing outside before you build a house is what was required. You had to collect materials, which they didn't go to the hardware store. Rather, they would collect their materials from the outside world. They would collect wood and stones and materials necessary for building a house. And field is the Hebrew word for soil or ground, which could be another reference to outside, or it could refer to work in the ground, farming, so that you have enough money to fill your house, to have provision. In any case, the principle is prepare and plan before you act. Make sure you're able to do it before you act. Don't just do it because you want to do it. Jesus said this in Luke 14, 28 through 30. This is regarding discipleship, but he's using a natural principle that we see here in Proverbs to explain this, where he says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. So wisdom entails planning preparing first, making sure you have enough before you make a major decision, such as buying a house. Uh, this is speaking against impulsive decisions, just doing things because I want to do it, throwing a bunch of stuff on the credit card and hoping the money appears later. Rather, there needs to be consideration and denying ourselves before we make a proper decision. And this can also apply to the use of our time and commitments. Sometimes we can overcommit to things because we're proud and we think we can do more than we really are able to do or we want to be important. Or we don't want to let anybody down and say no. Or we are trying to numb some pain within and mask it by being really busy and distracting ourselves. However, even in our time, we need to consider, are we able to... Be faithful stewards of the responsibilities that God has given us before we add anything else. Now, while we don't want to overcommit, we also don't want to be lazy, which brings us to our final verses, verses 30 through 34. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands, the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like 
an armed man. So the father tells his son a story of a time he passed by the house of a sluggard. And he says one who lacks sense, that is one who lacks wisdom. Being a sluggard and lacking wisdom go hand in hand. He saw overgrown thorns, the ground covered with nettles, with weeds, the, sto- the stone wall in front broken down. We've seen some houses like this, haven't we? It's either the person uh, has, has health problem, problems, is elderly, or is just simply lazy. Well, the father learned something from this after giving it some thought. And this is what he learned in verses 33 to 34. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to rest, and poverty will overtake you like an armed man. It starts off little, and then suddenly it overtakes you like an armed robber who jumps out of the bushes on a highway and surprises you. Well, how did he learn this? How did the father infer this from what he saw? Well, Think about how weeds grow. They don't just suddenly pop up one day. They grow little by little. Think about how things decay. They don't just fall apart one day. They decay little by little. And so what he inferred here is that he, little by little, just let things go. And before you know it, it is what it is here. It was just putting off the little just once. And that's all it took. And that set this pattern towards laziness. It's like hitting snooze a bunch of times and before you know it, you've slept an hour and a half later. It's out of control. And this really is the way all sin works, not just laziness. It's a lustful thought that we indulge in and before you know it, we're committing impure acts. It's entertaining proud thoughts and before you know it, we're making boastful comments that everyone recognizes as boastful except for us. It's meditating on wrongs done to you, leading to a growing bitterness. Before you know it, it overtakes you, and it, spo- and it poisons the relationship with that person. A sin must be repented of from the heart. It must not be cherished. It must not be indulged in within. However, the way to deal with our sin is not by focusing on the sin, by saying, stop the sin. Stop this sin. Stop this sin. Or my favorite Saturday Night Live episode to constantly draw our attention to is that one with Bob Newhart sitting down uh, counseling somebody who's struggling and he just says, Stop it. Now pay me a bill. It's not by just saying, Stop it. While we must tell ourselves that it is wrong, that it needs to stop, and that we must turn from doing it and turn early from doing it, not indulging in sin, yet it must be replaced with the love of Christ within. The reason that our hearts love and cherish sin is because there is a lack of loving and cherishing Christ within. And so we could tell ourselves all day long that we need to stop it, that we need to take steps, that we could condemn ourselves all day long for our sin. But if we are not so filled with the love of our Savior, sin will then naturally creep in. But how are we filled with the love of Christ? Is it by telling us the law? You need to love Christ. You need to love Him more. You need to love Him better. That's all true. And that's all right. 
But that is not what empowers us to turn from sin. Rather, it is by the gospel. It is by seeing with the eyes of faith Christ's love for us. It is by seeing that He really did take on our own flesh. That He was a man of sorrows for us. He came to earth. This was His purpose-driven life to suffer for us. A whole life of bearing the curse and our shame, culminating in the cross, defeating it for us, being our righteousness, covering us and our shame forever, so that we, as Pastor Doug mentioned earlier, who should have our faces covered with shame, it says in the Bible that we who believe our faces will never be covered with shame. Not because we have cleaned ourselves up, but because Christ has covered us by His blood and righteousness. Every bitter thought, every lustful desire, every lustful look, every indulgence in sin, every evil deed, every every self-righteous thought, every proud thought, Christ got crushed for on the cross. And now we are forever His beloved children, accepted, cherished, and even delighted in by Him. If this is what Christ has done for us, then how can we not but live for Him? How can we not but fill our hearts with meditations all the day long on this wonderful truth? And so we must fill our minds with these truths, believing them deep within. And this is what the Lord's Day is for. The Lord's Day is about basking in the glory of Christ and all that He has done for us and all that He is. And instructing us to live in such a way in light of how He has lived, died, and was raised for us. So may we fill our hearts and minds with this glory. May we meditate deeply on these truths so that Christ is all in all in our hearts, leading us to live for Him, putting away sin, and walking wisely as the Lord would have us walk. Amen. Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, oh, we need to see Your glory. Please, Father, open up the, heart, the eyes of our heart that we may see Christ and treasure Him. That He has loved us. That He loves us still. That He's interceding for us even now. How can we not but live for Him who has loved us and is loving us now? Help us, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com. Wyoming.com.